You are listening to Keenan Live, where I'm going to be talking to the interesting, the rebellious, and the successful. People who do things that others just can't or won't. Hey, what's up, peeps? It's Keenan. Welcome to, to Keenan Live 2. You do not know how happy I am here because, as many of you know, I am a skier. That is my thing. Ever since I stopped playing football in high school, skiing is my thing. And there's nothing closer to football than mogul skiing because it actually takes some muscle, et cetera, et cetera. So I can't tell you how happy happy I am to have the GOAT, and we're going to talk all about that in a minute, the GOAT of mogul skiing, me, Kale Kingsbury. Kingsbury, my brother, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, baby. How you doing today, my man? I'm good. Um... I didn't ski today because the weather was so bad here and uh, I'm in Switzerland right now. And um, yeah, flying back home to Montreal tomorrow and get back to work uh, on the gym to get ready for uh, World Cup opening uh, on December. No doubt. So wait, wait, wait. So you're in Switzerland right now? Yep. I'm in Zermatt, uh, very high in altitude. It's been uh, two weeks and a half I'm here just training, getting my stuff ready. Things are going very well right now, so I'm very stoked. Good on you, baby. Good on you. So talk to me. Before we even get into skiing, some crazy shit happened yesterday. You got you almost got a new prime minister, but you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. We were following that, even though we're we're six hours ahead of Eastern time in Canada. So, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting uh, always when uh, there's new elections. And uh, I did my vote two weeks ago. And, um, yeah, I'm happy that Justin Trudeau is back uh, as a prime minister, I met him a few times. I chat with him on the phone uh, after I won the gold uh, at the Olympics. So, yeah, it's uh, it's great. I think he's a great, uh, great prime minister. And, um, yeah, I'm just very happy that it's him. And uh, it's I think it's good for sports. He's very good with us. So, um, yeah. So you got to talk to him on the phone, sort of like when people get to, to uh, in the States, they get to go to the White House and see Trump. Yeah, well, I, I got to go to the... The, the Parliament Hill in Ottawa to meet him uh, in his office and uh, chat for uh, for a good 15 minutes. But after I won the gold, um, uh, I had a phone call and someone told me, yeah, it's a very special phone call. And I took the phone and it was just thanks for on the phone. So that's pretty special. And he, he was watching the event with his, uh, with his family and he's a big fan of skiing and snowboarding in general. Those are his uh, favorite sports uh, to watch at the Olympics. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we just had a very casual uh, talk for uh, a good five to ten minutes, and he said, uh, "Congrats, the the country is proud." And yeah, it's pretty special when you have the chance to do that. And after that, I met him at the in Ottawa. Um, we took some pictures, some selfies, and yeah, he's just a great guy all around. He's pretty young for a prime minister, and he's so far doing a, a good job. I on my side, what I think, I'm, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't agree with that, but uh, yeah, yeah, overall, great guy. So I was going to ask, so, so is it like here in the States where some people like win something or get a chance to meet him? And they're like, no, I don't want to meet him. And they boycott him? Yeah, Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, like, no, but do people want to boycott um, Trudeau? Like, do people like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to go see him? Maybe there is. I've Every gold medalist um, from Pyeongchang went and, and met him. So uh, I think he's just very close to the the. the the sport athletes and we know he's watching he's he, he tweeted that all of us and uh yeah i think he, he he called all of us also on the phone everyone that was winning so no it's pretty special to get a prime minister someone is leading the country uh that is so close to his athlete and uh yeah it's a, a special moment so you can say in your life that you you spoke to to the chief of your country and uh yeah i'm very uh, very happy that he's been elected again <laughs> what do you think about how they do it here in the states like what do you think from a patriot per, uh, perspective about americans who don't go see trump or don't go see obama or whoever what do you think of that you think that's good or you think that's bad i mean i'm not from the states uh for sure in canada you know we we can follow the, uh, what's happening in the states a lot um i don't know um if I was an American, if I would go to the White House or not, I think it's a pretty big privilege to have the chance to go. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I support the people that don't doesn't go and the people that go good for them. I mean, it's a, 
it's a pretty special feeling to have the chance to, you know, I think go to the White House, um, any president. I mean, it's more for the, the gesture than the actual guy that is there. Um, so probably I would go if I was an American, but I mean, I don't know. Uh, since I'm not, um, I can't really tell. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. What is it yeah. like standing on that podium? Because you've done it twice now, right? You had a silver yeah. in in a Sochi, and then you had the gold in Pyongyang, if I'm saying that right. What's it like? Pyongyang. Pyongyang, thank you. What's it like standing on the pedestal hearing the Canadian national anthem? Um, sorry about that. I just had a little issue with my phone. Oh, okay. It's all good. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're here. Yep. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, man, it's the best feeling in the world. I, I've watched the Olympic all my life. Um, you know, watching on TV, watching the opening ceremony, watching a lot of my heroes go on the podium. And when it, it's your time, um, I mean, it's like, for me, it was like being a kid going to Walt Disney and meeting like Mickey Mouse or whatever, but like seeing that podium and, and stepping on it and seeing the, the Canadian flag go up, it's very, very special. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to describe because my life has been waiting for this you know moment and working so hard so many hours at the gym to get to this you know to get to have the chance to step on that podium and when i won the silver it was pretty special because i on the, i was on the podium and the winner was um my teammate so we had the the canadian anthem for us um so I, well it was for him because he won but like it was still for me because i was in, in, in the silver position and uh, to do it again, and I promised myself in Sochi that I would step uh, on the, the, the highest step. So there is always at the Olympic one step to get to the, the, the bronze, two steps for the silver, and three steps. And I, I told myself, I'm going to work so hard to go up on those three steps. And when I did it, um, man, the, the pressure went away, and it, it felt just so good. All my family were in front, and a lot of my friends. and. You know, the, the people that I care were watching on TV. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty special moment. And the, the Winter Olympic medals are so heavy. And when you get, in, uh, when you get it on your neck, it's uh, the best, best feeling in the world. Dude, did you know that um, – did you know that – let me start over. How did you feel the first time at sec when you had second place? And I think we're getting a little bit of um, delay in your voice again. Um, not sure why, but we'll keep going and see how it works out. So what did you feel the first time when you got second? Were you mad? No, not at all. Because uh, I was so nervous because of my first Olympic Games. And no, um, I was just very happy. I gave everything. And I, I was happy I didn't go for, you know, just trying to be on the podium. I went for it to win. And I made some few mistakes. And that what cost me the gold medal. And Alex had probably one of the best run I saw in my life. So yeah, um, I was very happy because, you know, at 21 years old to get a silver medal, it was at the time, I think it was like the, the, the peak of everything that I've done. I, I won, you know, the world championship, but it was never like when I won the, the silver medal for the first time. And it's, it's just so huge. Everyone is watching when I got back home. Uh, yeah. Um, I was not mad at all. And but I promised myself that the next time I go, I'll step on the highest step. Okay. All right. Okay. The reason I asked you about second place is because I read an article not too long ago that did you know that second place finishers in the Olympics have the highest suicide rate? Yes, highest suicide rate of people who are in the Olympics and they suffer from depression, et cetera, greater than anybody else. And the, the research suggests, obviously, if you win first, you're pumped, right? So gold medal life is great. If you win second, you're so focused on what you just missed, right? That you didn't actually win the gold and you suck second. And third is they're focused on the fact that they did, that they got to at least podium and they weren't in fourth. So, so there's a lot of conversation and a lot of discussion around people in second place, how it really messes them up pretty bad. Based on the of the podium for me. 
And after that, it was like, uh, you know, just I wanted so bad to get the gold. But if I wasn't going to get it um, in Pyeongchang, it was not the end of the world. You know, I've worked so hard and I have the Olympic medal, a silver one, and that's forever. And it was just motivation. So never had some weird thoughts because just if I was, you know, a bronze medalist or any colors or I think just the fact to go to the Olympics is a very, very, very big accomplishment and, and nobody can take that away from you. So even uh, there's a lot of people that went to many Olympics and never won a medal. And uh, yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. And dude, what more people don't understand about mogul skiing, unlike Alpine and even cross country, is it's one and done. Right. Like, yeah. like it's, 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 it's a rough one. It's all or nothing. Like, and it's judged. Right. So when you're talking about Alpine skiing, you have the slalom giant slalom downhill. I'm missing, but it's only time and super G and it's your time. So there's no subjectivity to it. So either you go the fastest or you don't. Right. But in mogul skiing, there's judges and they can say, eh, we don't think that was a good run. And, and that's it. If you mess up, there's no like, oh, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll do the super, you know, I'll do the super moguls or I'll do the right. It's one and done. That's got to put some stress on you. Yeah, but that's what I love about moguls is performance on demand. And we have to work so hard on that. I mean, you can be a very good mogul skier, but, you know, if you're good once out of 10, you're probably not going to win a gold medal at the Olympics. And especially that at the Olympics, we get an extra, you know, run. So it's four run that you have to make it to the bottom and and do your best, you know. So um, there's always pressure. That's like at the Olympics, you, you do your qualification. And if you pass on the top 20, you have the chance the next day to, to go to the final. Then we're 20 guys and, and you have to do top 12 in order to go to the next round. And then all the score go back to zero. And then you have to finish top six to go to the medal round. And then you have to lay down your best run uh, at the end. But for me, I didn't see it like this, uh, the, the past Olympic to try to qualify uh, in first place in every round, not to put that pressure on me. The goal was to win the last round. And uh, with my mental trainer, we talked a lot at just doing the round that I know I need to do in order to pass to the next round and work my way up um, and, you know, trying to get as much information every time I go on the course for those 24 seconds I have to ski. And when I arrive at the last one, it's funny, it's the one that I was battling for the medal, but that was the run that I was the least nervous because I knew what to do and I felt very confident. And, uh, yeah, so I think our sport is, is more beautiful just because of the fact that we don't have a second chance. It's, it's now, it's like do or die. And it's uh, and you see, you know, the people that have a lot of skills but not the mental, um, they usually uh, end up not doing the best at the Olympics. And the people that are, you know, very mental and very tough, I have a teammate like that, and he's he, he's got two fourth place at the Olympics. Those are almost his best results ever. But he was so tough mentally, and uh, yeah, that's why the Olympics are so special uh, in our sports. No, I feel you, dude. In Actually, I'm going to stop for a second. We got a question from Gordon Kaiser or Kaiser. I hope it's Kaiser and not Kisser. Kaiser, what's up, baby? His question what's is up? this. He says, when you reach this level of success, how do you overcome the mistakes and fails that lead to such success? So I think he's, I think what he's asking is, how do you overcome the mistakes and failures to keep driving and be successful? Um, for me, I think, I, you know, you always learn more when you make mistakes. And um, yeah, I just try to learn from my mistakes. I know it's kind of cliche and everyone says that, but it's true. And I mean, in order for me to win, I need to make a lot of mistakes in order to not do them again. And uh, for me, uh, just like in in, uh, in Pyeongchang right before um, the final, I had my worst training of the year, the, the night of the event, and I ended up winning the Olympics. So instead of um, thinking about those negative thoughts that you have or, you know, the, the technical difficulties you have, I try to focus on my strength. And and when you do that, I mean, good stuff will happen. I just focus on all the positive stuff that I had done in that course. And I knew what I was able to do and try to let those, you know, little things that were not working for me at that day. And uh, yeah, just for me, it was to keep it simple 
and uh, I had a hard time in a few moguls in the middle section that I was always getting cut up. And the only thing I was thinking about is just, you know, lifting my knees and, and keeping my hips straight. So sometimes, like, the little thing you learn when you're a kid, when you're 11, 12, 9, whatever, I mean, it's it's those things at the end that are, you know, the most important thing, the simple thing. So I kept the thing simple. and uh, Fundamentals. Yeah. You just talked about fundamentals, fundamentals, right? Like, you just talked about fundamentals. Like, no question – your ability to be like, oh, I got to go back to the fundamentals and do this. And let me help everybody out. So those of you who are listening who don't know how to mogul ski or never mogul skied or never skied, if you've gone skiing, you've seen it, seen the kids at the mountain that are really good. Just take that and times it by a thousand to watch Mikhail. But mogul skiing, in my opinion, are the best skiers on the hill, period, because they have to embrace every single element of skiing. There's no cheating. There's no cheating whatsoever. And when you're competing, you're doing, you know, cork 720s. And I think you're trying to push a 1080 now, I think. But massive, massive jumps in the middle of a mogul field, just big Volkswagen-sized bumps in the middle of the field. And then you got to land in that going 25 miles an hour and ski through it. It is the most difficult thing you can do on skis, hands down. Hands down. <laughs> and so to come back and, and, and hear you talk about fundamentals is key. And I want people to understand, I think that applies to everything in life. When you're exactly. struggling, when you want to make something happen, you got to go back to the fundamentals. And if you're not willing to put the time in to learn the fundamentals and and uh, how do you and, and nail the fundamentals, become an expert in the fundamentals, the rest isn't going to help you at all. And you, your boy just Mikhail, you just nailed that. We got another question from Doug Brady. He says, uh, "How many hours do you prep versus the amount of time you actually compete?" This is good because I have an idea. Um, I don't know in numbers. But I practice way more than I compete. I mean, our sport is like, <laughs> if I do like just a one World Cup to win the race, you have three rounds of basically between 20 to 25 seconds. So it would be like a minute of competing compared to the numbers of rounds that I'm doing and, and the hours I spend at the gym, the hours I spent. And this is my favorite thing to watch videos and, and study other skiers or my skiing. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy the amount of time I spend on my sport compared to, uh, <laughs> to, to the amount of time I'm competing. So you fly all, look, let's keep it real. You fly all around the world 360 days a year, basically chasing the snow, right? Like you were in um, Australia this summer, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was in Australia for three weeks. Got back home for a month just to do some prep uh, on my uh, at the gym, and now it's only working towards the first World Cup. So top to bottoms, heavy volumes on the glacier here. Uh, we have a very good setup, and then it's just getting the, the the last little details ready. Now I'll go back at home. I'll ski a bit in uh, in my own town, and um, I'll go back to Finland, do a short camp right before the first World Cup on uh, December seventh, and. Uh, yeah, I feel ready to compete right now. I mean, the World Cup can be tomorrow anywhere else, and I'd feel ready to compete. So I've done a great job this summer to to do a, a good build off and and arrive and and work a lot on my new tricks. And yeah, um, yeah, there's a lot of traveling, a lot of time. It's a full time job. So how many it's, it's how many days a week on average in a year? How many days a week on average a year do you think you actually ski? How many days? That's a very good question. Um, a lot. Um, over. Find a lot. Maybe over yeah, 200. 200. 200. You're on skis 200 days a year. I, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure, but I mean, most of the summer I ski like, I do, I do like always three day, one day off, three day, one day off. So if you think a week, I, I can ski like six times a week if, and during the World Cup season, we usually ski four days, but sometimes I get the extra day just to go fill the snow off different country because we travel so much and the snow is so different from country to country so just to to fill the snow so um i mean i skied less this summer but the past year i've been skiing so much i just i was basically in my ski boots all the time okay so we just said something else now that i i bet most of you missed i bet it went right over your head right and so you know i'm gonna call it out dude you just said you go up a day early because you're most people only ski four you do that one extra day to Feel the snow. Yeah. How many? How many other competitors do you think have a snow field day in their in their schedule? 
Uh, I don't know. I think many of the guys are doing it. Um, for me, it's very important just to know exactly like it's not that I'm changing the wax all the time. I have a few skis with me, but it's just to, you know, snow in Utah is going to be different than back home in, in the East Coast. And in Europe, it's going to be different. And Japan is going to be totally different, super wet. It's it's just important. So because we have such a small amount of time of training on the on any course we have, that I want to rise and, and know what's the snow condition going to be like and, and just see how my skis react and see if I have to make adjustment on my edges. And it makes like when I go and do my first run of training, I'm not wasting time. It's not adaptation time. It's work time right away. So it's just uh, preparation. I think for me, is skis uh, is key um, for anything in, in my sport. I, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I'm the best uh, in the world right now is because I prepare everything so yes. well. And, there's no question when I show up in the course, I'm, I'm ready to go and, and I don't spend time adjusting stuff uh, where maybe people are doing. I'm, I don't have to do that because I've prepared earlier. Yes, it's the little things, dog. That's what I wanted to call out right here. We talked about the fundamentals before, but now you're talking about the little things. The little yeah, things. Sometimes it's just stupid little things, but it makes you so good faster and you just, all your shit are ready. I mean, my lunch, my my skis, like I prepare my stuff always before I go to bed. Example, I have a training day or, or I compete. My stuff is like kind of like in a, a football or hockey locker room. Everything is there. So in the morning, I have like extra everything. I have two pairs of socks, like three pairs of goggles, all the lenses possible, um, backup skis, backup poles. Like I'm, I'm not going to miss anything. Water, uh, drinks, um, bars. Everything. Preparation, man. The little things and preparation make all the difference. So listen up, people. There's your lesson, whether you were paying attention or not. Most of us don't pay attention to the little things. Yeah. Most of us don't over-prepare. Most of us don't think ahead. Two pairs of skis, two poles, two socks. Why? He's got it all laid out. Dude, that Yeah, and, and sometimes I just need like one of each, but the one day that your socks are wet or whatever, you have them in your in your backup and you don't have to worry about anything. And it's just putting like stuff out of your shoulder. You know, you have everything. Um, it's just like the preparation you do with your chiropractor, your physio. I mean, I'm not waiting until I'm hurt to go see them. I'm always doing, you know, doing prevention to make sure when I'm in the Stargate, I can focus 100% on my performance and not be like, oh, my knee's hurting, my back is hurting. You know, I try to, you know, always prepare everything from every little details. You know, I can learn from that because that's where I'm not as good. I've always been sort of a, a guy who's really good at um, uh, what I call counter punching or really good at reacting. Like I, I, I'm really in a crisis. I'm a good guy to have around. Like I, I can respond with like, oh, it's crazy. Okay. I know what to do here. Right. And so I live in crisis mode half the time, but I hate it. And I, I keep saying like, even this alone, we, we got here a half hour early and thank God we got here a half hour early, huh? Yeah, <laughs> today, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because we almost missed it. And technically speaking, I was 10 minutes late. So we had that 20 minutes we had to get this right. We made it by the nick of our teeth because of some of the technical problems we were having. So yeah. I, 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 know, I, took, I I was early too. I was checking my phone all day because we, we we didn't go skiing. And I went to the gym and, you know, prepare my, uh, my stuff to go back home. And I was like, okay, I got to arrive early to make sure everything's working. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's. I think it's important to to be in, in everything we do in life to be prepared. I mean, that's the attitude of it's, a champion. Uh, it's crazy. Like mogul skiing, our life is always throwing us curveballs, and we have to be fast to reacting to everything. So we got to be ready. Yep, dude. I really think I think preparation is the attitude of a champion, and it's one of the things I'm going to work on more. I got to get better at. It. My assistant Brady's laughing right now because she's she's. Oh yes, if you'll live to that <laughs> shape. I got to get better at this in in some other part of my life, but uh, for skiing, I'm top notch. Yeah, and it, it plays out. All right, we got some more questions. Um, we have one from um, Doug. Hold on, I think it's Doug. Doug Brady, he says, does your coach travel with you and how many people give you feedback? Um, yeah, my coach is always traveling with me. Um, I have a, so I have like my, the head coach, I call him, Mike, and I have a, a jump coach and a physical trainer. And sometimes a muscle or a physio, or my brother, he's a chiropractor. So travel with a good, you know, a good team to make sure I stay healthy. And uh, for the feedbacks, um, I always have a feedback because I was a, I have a coach on the side of the course, and uh, 
so the jump coaches can tell stuff from the size of what he sees about my takes my takeoffs and and the way I ski out of the jump have my coaches that he's watching with his own eyes and usually the, the physical trainer would film so every run I get to see my run all the time so we don't do mo- like I do video reviews at the end but I mostly do my um my video like live on the spot like 30 seconds after my run they use an ipad right they film with an ipad or a regular camera yeah it's a, it's a tough book like kind of like what the police have that you know the tough book yep, those yep, things yep. that you can throw from 204 and it will still be working and you can put it underwater so yeah and we have a slow-mo it's on dark fish so we can see slow motion and a good zoom in and and go uh, see the details and we can draw lines actually on on the the computers so it's very efficient for us um and then i get feedbacks with talkie walkie from the top and from the bottom so yeah i, I get two feedbacks by run how do you feel about do you do you like getting feedback like what, what is your feeling around that do you like people coaching you like that how would you describe how coachable better yet how coachable would your coaches say you are i think i'm very coachable i mean we all have our, you know, our little things. And I think my coaches know me very well right now. I've been with one coach for eight to nine years, Rob Kober, until 2018, until after the Olympics. And now I'm with a new coach. Uh, we're starting your second season together. It's wait, wait, wait. Well. Why did you get rid of the old coach? Did, like, did I you didn't get rid fight? of him. Uh, he, he changed job. He's been there for a very long time. So um, that's the reason why. It was more on, the, on his side that he chose to, to leave. We won everything together. It was awesome. But I think now with my new coach, it's just new stuff and, and a new motivation for me to, you know, to get a new guy looking at my skiing. And my new coach is the ex-coach of Alex Bildo, who's yeah. the Olympic champion in 2014. And so he knows and me 20, so well. And 2010. Yeah, and 2010. Yeah, yeah. So uh, these guys have been, you know, studying my skiing a lot to try to beat me. And uh, I've been doing the same thing on the other side. So it's nice to have him on my, uh, on my side now. And yeah, I think I'm, uh, for, for come back to the question, I'm, I'm very coachable. But uh, the thing that I like is I talk always first. They don't talk first. So I break and I say how I feel. And or he's going to ask me, how did you feel? And then you know, we'll exchange from that. He's not going to be like a coach that is, you know, a straight up coach, you know, like telling me like, don't do this or don't do that. Or, you know, you should, uh, you know, go bigger on the top. We'll, we'll chat and we'll try to find the, the perfect solution and, and do some tests on some, uh, some, uh, some, some runs that, you know, I'm going to miss. And, but it's, it's kind of like on purpose to try to find something that I want to do. So um, I'm very coachable, but for sure, I, I'm very hard on myself, so I can get mad about, you know, sometimes stupid stuff. So they're very good to bring me uh, down to earth. You ever get in a fight with your coach, your coaches? Uh, no, never. Not not uh, <laughs> not on skiing. Maybe more about, uh, you know, hockey stuff and, and, and stuff <laughs> like that. But uh, uh, no, we never got very in a fight. We, you know, we had some serious conversation and, you know, sometimes we have to make like very, you know, clear decision, but I trust him 100% and I know he trusts me and we always make the, 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 the right calls. And I think that's the most important thing with a coach is, you know, I have all my trust in him and I know he's, he's trusting me with my decision. And uh, it's like, uh, he's, he's not there to tell me what to do. He's there to, to give me uh, feedbacks and and what he thinks and what he thinks I should do and then I I always take the final decision so that's what I like about him he's not gonna be mad if I he, he's like uh, I want you to do this but I want to do there we usually try to meet in the middle or you know he's mostly gonna be on my side so um, but I think with one year we already found our recipe to win so um, yeah. All right. We got a question. Romero, Romero Pasquale. Do he asked, do you get rattled after taking a big fall? And do you have any doubts when you come back from a big injury? Um, I'm going to knock on wood because I haven't had very big injuries, but I knew, uh, I know a lot of people that have big ones and, you know, to see them doing their rehabs is phenomenal. Like yeah, I have one teammate, just a, a short story. Uh, Phil Marquis, you know. Yeah, we know Philly. I love Phil. Yeah. Good guy. Phil um, had a bit, pretty big injury one month before 
uh, Pyeongchang and he skied at the Olympic without an ACL. So I saw him train and, and do all his stuff. Uh, it was, you know, it was inspiring to see him so motivated and be able to, to ski moguls without an ACL. I think I've never seen people do that uh, in my entire life. So he's, uh, he's a total legend, but I never had big injuries, but I had some, you know, uh, some little stuff here and there. Uh, but it doesn't scare me. I think it's more on my, the way I am, you know, I'm not to say I'm willing to die to win, but um, I like to take risks and my risks are always well calculated. And yeah, I mean, we, if I have an injury and I don't want to have an injury, but like, we'll see, maybe it's going to be different. But so far, even though sometimes I've been hurt a bit in my back here and there, and I've been always uh, very good to be able to, you know, push it still 100% and, and get the treatment that I need after. Um, I'm just, even if I'm hurt, I want, I want to win so bad that uh, I don't really, really care about the injury. So, all right. So you've got a gold and your silver. We got 2022 coming up in two and a half years, right? Two years, I guess. Um, are you gonna are you gonna stay in this till 2022? Are you gonna get another gold? Yeah, that will that that would be awesome. I'm I'm for sure going to 2022. Okay. Uh, yes, the goal is to win another gold medal. And you'll uh, be the first mogul person to win three three medals, right? If you do that, you'll be the first mogul man mogul ski to win three medals, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. First one in the men on the men's side. Uh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, I love competing in China. It's going to be in Beijing. And I have uh, six World Cup starts at, in the course of the Olympic in Beijing. And I've won the six events. So um, I'm very good there. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just very excited to compete uh, and get the chance to win another medal. But I'm going to be Olympic champion for the rest of my life. So I'm not very worried about the result. I'm just going to go there and ski my best. And the pressure is not going to be the same. Uh, there was a lot of pressure coming into the last Olympic, especially winning uh, 13 out of the 14 events prior to the Olympics. So it was kind of like my gold medal to win and my gold medal to lose. But this time around, it, it will be different. I'm just going to make sure I, I'm still one of the favorite guy. And um, I have so much experience now at the Olympic with, with two medals. And I think this is going to help me a lot. And, and the fact that I'm going to have less stress um, should be better. Yeah. So let's, let's tell everybody, let's help everybody understand when we say you're the GOAT, you're the GOAT, right? How many wins do you have? Um, 56. Is that, is that the most wins by any male mogul skier? Yeah. Um, the second best is 28 World Cup wins <laughs> at 56. So, you, so that's the double. so you, you've won twice as many as the next person. Yeah, I mean, and I have uh, 81 podium on 99 starts. So next start is my 100, hitting a new milestone. Yeah. Woo! 100 podiums. That's crazy. No, 100 start. At 100 starts. 81 podium. 100 starts. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And and to finish 56 of those in first place. I mean, that's yeah, that's off the charts. So you know, how many world championships? Four or five? I've won four world championships. Um, I have nine medals out of 10 events at the World Championships. Um, and I have uh, 16 Crystal Globe, which is, um, I won eight years in a row. Uh, it's, well, it's been eight years in a row. I'm ranked first in the world uh, after the World Cup season. So when you win, you get a Crystal Globe. So I have eight of these. And I also won all the freestyle discipline, which is moguls, uh, ski cross, half pipe, slope style, big air, aerials um we're all combined together so all the winners they go into another like pool and the guy that dominate the most in sport win the big load and i have eight of those too so uh so i'm working my way up uh, close to lens damn so let's think about this you got eight and you had 27 yeah so you so basically you've owned this sport since you were 21 years old uh yes since i'm 19 since you're 19 you've been owning this sport i mean that's the go, hands down. So wait, how do you stay yeah. motivated, dog? Like literally, how do you stay motivated? Because I, like, I, well, I don't know that I could stay motivated that long in something that takes the amount of work that it takes. And for those of you who don't know, again, look, I ski about 60 days a year. When I teach, I have to sometimes teach 10 days in a row and I'm not out training like he is. My feet are gone. Man, ski boots are not nice to feet. 
standing around in skis all day is not nice and, and skis is not good for the body. So I could not imagine doing this for eight years. So where do you get the drive, my man? Like, where is the motivation? You know what? I just love to win. <laughs> uh, yeah, this never gets old for me. And I like to do the work. I like to go at the gym. I like the athlete life. I like uh, to eat well and, you know, um, have fun with my teammates and travel the world. I think it's pretty motivating, uh, you know, to have goals. I always have goals um, here and there. Even though I've won everything, um, I have goals about new tricks or, or new ways that I see the sport. So, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, it's easy to get motivated if, Sometimes I have some ups and some downs, and when I I have a little down, I I don't know. I just go on YouTube and I watch, uh, you know, mogul skiing from any skier. I got some mogul skiing videos on YouTube. You can watch. You can watch mine. I got some. You can watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll watch yours next time I have uh, any motivation. But no, I mean it's easy. I I just love to compete. I like to win. I I, I love the feeling. For me, it. it the adrenaline, the stress is, is like a drug. And yeah, I mean, this is what's keeping me going. I think like I'm a, I'm a guy that just love, love competing. And that's what gets me going. That's why I want to keep it going. And I'm proud to represent my country. And yeah, that's awesome. Dude, I think there's something here you're forgetting. What? Humility. Because I met you, oh God, when did I meet you? Five, six years ago, 76? Yes, yeah, six years ago, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you were the nicest guy. I think I met you the year that I wiped out on my first run and, and punctured a lung when, when Phil was by. Yeah, yeah, that was that year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Hey, I came back two days later and skied with a punctured lung for the record. <laughs> I know, I remember seeing you back on the glacier. I was wondering. Uh crazy <laughs> but um what i what i remember about that time and and phil had it too or has it too and what i continue to see is you have you're grounded in a humility and that humility drives everything from uh wanting to keep getting better at tricks you know being okay that look like you said here you know i have nothing to prove i'm a gold nose forever so you know i just yeah i just want to get better and better like all of these things, you, you just, there's a humility, you're grounded in. Like, and I want to talk more about that too, because my daughter, who you know, um, is, is a, a mogul skier competitor and she's obsessed with it. And she doesn't look, I, you know, I try to point at some women, you know, like Hannah Kearney, who is probably the best women, woman ever for Donna Weinbrecht or whatever. Um, but she's like, no, I want to beat the boys. Right. And so she looks to you. And when she was at camp this summer and I wasn't there, she was like, yeah, he talked to me. We rode a lift together. You have this, you just have this grounded humility that allows you just to embrace where you are, who you're with, the situation, and you don't let your ego get in the way. And I don't think you give yourself enough credit for that. Yeah, no, but I was like your daughter when I was young. I mean, I was watching up to the best athletes in the world and they were always nice to me. Well, most of them. So when I see kids that when they are happy or impressed to see me, I remember young me at nine years old, I was just doing the same. So uh, for me, like it was making my year just to have the chance to talk to the best skiers in the world. And so um, I'm in a good position to understand that because I've been, you know, there also. So, and I always enjoy, I mean, if I was, you know, rank 20th in the, in the world or rank first or not even an athlete i think i'd uh, i would have the same personality so um yeah skiing didn't change me winning a gold medal didn't change me i mean there's a lot of great opportunities that comes with winning and and, and being a you know a elite athlete uh, worldwide but it it doesn't change me for 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 nothing i mean i've learned so many things because of that sport i think i'm a better better man, better person. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, to come back when I see kids, I'm, I'm probably more stoked than they are stoked. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, look, I, I don't, I don't think you give yourself enough credit for that. Cause I, I don't think it's just giving back to the kids. I think it's why you've been able to maintain so long. There's a, there's a ground. So look, and I'll, and I'll tell you this, look, look at Antonio Brown, right? I don't yep. know how much you know about American football. 
But that guy. Was... Yeah, I know. Like, I know. I don't know as much as Aki, but I know. I know his a bit of his story when he was, uh, you know, the Oakland to to the Pats yeah. thing. And yeah, look, it's one hundred percent ego that destroyed his career. To get that yeah. far and flush it down the toilet because of your ego is beyond me, right? So I just think I don't think you can persevere as long as you have, and I don't think you can do what you want to do and be the best at it if there is not some level of humility that grounds you, especially as you get higher and higher and higher with the whole world telling you you're the GOAT or the whole world telling you you're the best or making all this money or having all these people follow you around and millions of viewers on YouTube and Instagram and all this, the whole world kissing your ass. If you don't have humility to ground your ass, I don't know how you can stay up there, and 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 I don't know how you can actually make a difference. And so, I, look, man, I applaud you for being able to do that. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not trying. I'm just staying myself, and I always had great people around me. I think I, I come from a great family, and that has uh, great uh, values. I don't know if that's a, the great word in English to say, but yeah, it is. I mean, uh, yeah, my I always been close to my family, and. And uh, yeah, if I was doing something wrong, they were telling me uh, very fast. And <laughs> yeah, I think when you're you're close to your family and and you surround yourself with you know great uh, great friends, uh, um, I mean I know they are they will be always always there for me, and I, I'm there for for them. So it's crazy. Like I think I'm a very big competitor when I when I have my ski gears on, my goggles on, and and, and it's time to compete. My personally is maybe a bit different because I'm Mikael Kingsbury, the skier that's there to win and is going to do everything to win. But when I'm back home, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, the normal guy that, you know, is 27 and likes to do, you know, normal stuff. And, and I don't try to, you know, bring all the attention on my side. I'm always, you know, trying to compliment my, my teammates or, or my competitors. And, and I think it's just more healthy like that. And, yeah, I'm, I'm happy the way I'm dealing with it, and I'm, I don't want to change. I mean, I'm, I'm still going to be the same guy no matter what. Even if I have two gold medals at the Olympics, I don't think it's going to change a, a, a little things about me. No, you know what? So here, I want to pause real quick. Um, we've lost, we, we, we're out of sync again. And All right, we got you back. How you doing, baby? I'm good. Yeah, good. Back. We're in alignment again. Beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. All right, so you said something that was interesting, right? Look, look, I, I, I don't understand assholes. I don't understand assholes. Me too. Yeah, I don't listen. So, look, by no stretch of the imagination, in any way, shape, or form, do I consider myself famous. But I've written a book, and I have a, a high profile on social media. So, it, I don't know. I feel lucky. Like, my kids think it's the funniest thing in the world because my kids think I'm an idiot. But at least once a month, somebody says, hey, you're Keenan. You know what I'm saying? I read your yep. book or I saw you, I see you on social, I love you. And they're like, can I take a picture whatever? I'm always graceful. Like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Now I get it. If I'm, yeah. you know, if I were Michael Jackson or someone I was getting, I couldn't walk down the street, that's different. But I don't understand why people can't be cordial, right? Like just be respectful. And you said something that was really interesting and I'm gonna flip the script here in a minute. You said you always engage with people, you like to handle them, but when you have your goggles on and when you have your helmet on and you're ready to ski, you're Michael Kingsbury the skier. Have you ever yeah. dealt with somebody who, let's say just after a run or you're on your way up to a run or something, who wants to talk to you, wants an autograph and is, and is, is like impeding in that space? How do you deal with them respectfully or do you not? Um, yeah, it happened quite a few times. Okay. Um, it's not the best moment to talk to me in there, but I always feel like I, because, you know, people recognize me in the chair if they, they go up the lift right before I compete. Usually I try to go in the chair by myself or with a teammate and we know we're not going to talk. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it happens. And I'm always happy when people recognize me and they want to take a picture and, and whatever back home. If I do the grocery in my hometown, I think everyone knows me. So for sure, it takes a bit more time because a lot of people want to talk to me, which which I'm I'm very glad and and I'm always gonna give time to those people. But when I have my goggles on, I think I have a little trick is I put my headphone headphones in and I I look at them and so I'm listening to music respectfully and uh, um, or I just tell them you know I'm I'm gonna go do my run I'm I'm just gonna try to get some time to focus and 
sorry about that. We can chat after after the race. If you want to come see me, we can take a picture or whatever. Or sometimes they just want to take a quick picture. So I, I do it very quick and and I, I put back my headphones in. And I think the people knows when, when I have my headphones, I mean, I'm, I'm probably not going to gonna reply to you or whatever. But, I mean, I always try to stay nice because um, you never know who's sitting next to you. Yeah, truth. So, dude, do you um do you compete with music? No, no. I listen to music before, or just to get me fired up if I have to be fired up or, or calm down when I need to calm down. Uh, but no, I don't ski with music because I try to use all my senses. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and hearing is a lot because I ski a lot with the the rhythm of of my ski hitting the moguls. And in training, I ski without music, so I'm going to compete without music because I just want to hear uh, if I'm right in the rhythm. And I know I'm, I'm well placed on my skis if it makes the same noise that a very good run in training. So um, I think your ear, um, even the breathing and seeing well the bumps are so important. Using all your senses. Uh, I'm going to help you perform better. So uh, no music for me when I compete. Well, that explains why I, I, I suck. <laughs> well, maybe not. I mean, there's a lot of great athletes that compete with music. I mean, I ski for fun with music when, I, when I'm by myself or sometimes I have a, a lighter training. I'll, I'll put my AirPods in and, and, and ski with them. And it's just because it's sometimes it's just longer training so i want to listen to music to stay more focused or have more fun but when i compete uh, no music because i want to hear the starter and i want to i want to hear uh, uh, my my breathing and everything so uh yeah i mean i think i've heard that when you have music you have a bit less balance really yeah i think there's something in your ear i don't know what to say in english but i think there's you know inner ear fibers Vibration thing are very yeah. important for balance. I did not know that. All right, now I'm going to try yeah, with because I, I ski. Try to put all the chances on my side, so no music. Yeah, yeah, I I ski with. Well, granted, I'm not competing, but you know, I'll take all the help I can get. Um, yeah, yeah, look, little ski boot up there, man. I'm now in a pair of uh, full tilt, so I had to get had to you know retire the langs. But <laughs> yeah, what, what are you skiing on right now, Dalbo? I'm in the I'm in the full no I'm in the full tilt um uh, chair ten. Okay, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with full tilt too. I have the drop kicks. Yeah, yeah. I like the I I could yeah I like the drop kicks. I don't know why I didn't get them. Oh, I I know why. I found the, the chair tens with a really good deal. Right. So. Yeah, probably yeah. Yeah, and I'm a little heavier than you, just a little. So what are you like? One seventy. My skis. No, how how heavy are you? Uh uh oh sorry yeah my um I weigh. Yeah, uh, I weigh no one fifty five. Yes, yeah, so like I got thirty kilos. pounds on you, and so I needed a little more. I needed a little more. Um, how do you say? Um, uh, stiffness. Stiffness on my boots. No, I, so the chair ten is a stiffer boot than the drop kick. No, the drop. Yeah, kick, it's a ten. Yeah, it's a ten, 10 and the drop is seven, right? Yeah, the, my flex is a six in my boot. Yeah, see, I, I don't think I could hand. First, I don't ski as well as you, obviously. But two, I don't think I, I need more. I need a little more stiffness. I weigh thirty-five pounds more than you. I, I, I think I would just fall over my boot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think the flex is perfect for me. So, Ava has the drop uh, kick. My daughter's in the drop kick. Yeah, perfect. The best boot. I I've been skiing with that since I'm sixteen, and they always been the best. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And then, of course, you're on the um, ID ones. So again, my, my daughter's my daughter's got your whole kit, man. She's got the ID one. She's got the drop kick. Now she wants a pair of the new what are the, uh, what are the zip poles or something like that. So zip line, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have the zip line poles. I have the ID one poles. Um, and we're dropping in November my new uh, pro model skis for the 2020 season. So you can have your own ski. Fun. Yeah, well, I already have my own my own ski. It's gonna be the fourth model I have. So um, we're just changing the color uh, this year. It's going to be, uh, the tail is going to be black and the nose is going to be uh, white. And uh, there's like some little flames on it. You know, the classic ID1's logo, um, they're going to be red. So um, yeah, I'm excited to try them on. All right, man. I, I didn't know they had them. You don't make it for little kids though, because my daughter would have wanted them. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we're, we're just making my size yet, but uh, I'll work on that. Get uh, my pro model every size would be pretty cool.
There you go. There you go. So do you do any any backcountry skiing? Well, you can't really ski for fun. I should even ask this question. You really can't ski for fun that much, can you? Um, I ski so much that when I'm I <laughs> when I can get time off my boots, I, I try to you know yeah. not ski, but I love big mountains, I love powder, I love uh, I love backcountry skiing in general. So every time there's a big snowstorm and it happens to us like three times in Japan where there was like a huge snowstorm and it's all the boys, we, we were renting skis and uh, yeah, um, it's more fun. After my career, I'll do just that. Japan is, the trans, Japan snow is just epic, is it not? It just never stops snowing. Man, the, the snow is so deep. Uh, I think I had the best turn in my life there. Yeah. Like uh, just some little pitch and when this, the snow is like to your hips yeah uh, there's nothing that's gonna beat it i mean mogul skiing is awesome but powder is just another level of fun and and you're skiing with your buddies and it's just like the sensation is just so much different there's way less impact than moguls so it's kind of fun yeah 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 yeah. no it, it i'm with you dude it is sick and i went to japan a few years ago it the, it never stopped snowing the whole day you couldn't even ski on the runs because it snowed so much you couldn't see where you were going so you literally had to be in the trees just so you could see where the hell you were yeah and and then the people that want to go to japan the cool thing about this place is the japanese are super respectful and they will always ski um in like the slopes they will never go on the back country or so you can have like seriously fresh tracks every run so it's it's I know it's not like that like in Vale or you know in Colorado or Whistler. There's just so many skier that you know by lunch there's no more fresh track, it's, except if you're local and you know where to go. But in Japan it's just fresh track after fresh track, and, and there's no skier, no lines. So it's it's worth it to go to Japan. All right, I got a question for you, non-mogul skier. Who is your favorite skier? Or what skier? Man or female, did you look up to the most non-mogul? Very good question. Yeah, baby. I have a lot. Okay, non-mogul skier. Growing up, I was watching, uh, you know, Herman Meyer? Mm -mm. No? Uh, he's a... Uh, oh, Mayor! Mayor! Wait. Yeah, Mayor. No, wait. I'm thinking yeah, he's, uh, Steve. No, oh, no, yeah. no. Who... Uh, Airman Mayer. Nope, don't know him. Yeah, he's a well. That was when I was younger, when I was doing moguls and racing. He was uh, uh, probably the best back in the days in uh, in ski racing, and probably one of the best in the history. Um, but right now, my favorite skier, I like. Uh, I have a, a lot of friends that are very good, like uh, ABM, uh, who runs a bronze and in, in slope style. Um, uh, in Pyeongchang, but Enric Arlo, the Swedish guy, I mean, this guy's so creative on his skis and he's a good skier. Other than that, uh, Michaela Schaefrin, uh, blows my mind. Oh uh, man. What Mikhail can, you know, I mean, what Michaela can do is crazy. You like her cause of her name. Keep it real. Come on. Michaela, yeah. We have the same <laughs> Just add an A at the end. And no, but like, I mean, we're, it's both similar. I mean, we're living kind of similar experience. I mean, she's weighing a lot and she's consistent and she performed under pressure um and yeah she's just so good i mean in a sport where the little little details make the difference because it's only time you know um i'm just impressed i never met her and i wish to meet her one day and have the chance to talk because we have, we have, I think, some similarities, not only in our names, but uh, the way we, we approach competition, I, I'd say. I think we can make this happen. I think I think we can make this happen, make you get you to cool. connect. Yeah. Look, next time you come to Vail, let me know. Um, right there, anybody listening to this, especially my friends in Vail on the Vail team, anybody that knows Michaela, we now know that Michaela wants to meet her. Let's make that happen. And, and yeah, so uh, that's my mission. I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to make some calls. Um, Thank you. <laughs> have you ever what did you think of um because when you talk about one of the winningest skiers like yourself and your discipline what do you think about lindsey vaughn what do you think about her? did you ever get a chance to meet her what do you think about her uh i never met her but i she's going out with pk suban 
He's the ex Montreal Canadian. Yes, player. yes. I'm a Boston Bruins fan. PK was tough. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, big fan of it uh, of him. Met him a few times. Uh, met him in Sochi at the Olympics, and met him at the Bell Center when he was playing for the Abs. Um, but uh, for Lindsay, I mean, she's she's their goat, and she's yeah. you know the greatest skier female to to ever live. And uh, yeah, big fan of hers. But I mean. Um, in my era, Michaela Schaefer dominated a bit more, so I'm more towards Michaela since she's still active. But a big fan of uh, of Lindsay Vaughn. I mean, she's she's a legend, and and she had a lot of injuries and always came back, and she was able to win. So, so much respect for for her skills and for her mental toughness, and yeah, she's in, incredible. So now you know they're married, by the way, or they, they're engaged now. So not just dating; they're getting married. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know when is the marriage, but I mean... Uh, Maybe PK has, can invite uh, you. PK, if you're listening, Subban, if you're listening, Mikhail wants an invitation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know them uh, very well, so it would be kind of awkward if I'm there, but uh, <laughs> no, they're they're just a nice couple. Um, yeah, PK's awesome. He's a great hockey player, and he's uh, he's a beast, and Linz Vaughn, same thing. So it's a, it's a great match. All right, so you grew up in uh, Quebec. Right, Quebec. If I try to say that even closely with a French accent, the way you guys write, right, as opposed Quebec. to Quebec, Quebec. Um, where do you? What is the best skiing, as far as you're concerned, in the world? And would you say it's your home mountain, or are you gonna say it's somewhere else? For mogul skiing, what do you think the best skiing? But, but yet, what's the? Let's piss a lot of people off. What's the best ski mountain in the world, and then the best one in North America? Okay, best. Ski in the world. I'm at the right, uh, a nice place right now. I mean, Zermatt, Switzerland, got everything. Got probably one of the best views in the world. Uh, you have the Matterhorn, the village is amazing. The après ski is awesome. The skiing is incredible in the winter. Um, so I'd go with Zermatt because I'm here right now. Uh, I like Vell. I think for North America, I'd say Whistler and Vell are my favorite. Um, but I haven't done every mountain. But uh, yeah, Vell, I think it's great. You know, uh, skied there maybe three, two or three times. And um, I don't remember the name of where the moguls are at. Highline? Highline, yeah. This thing is awesome. It burns <laughs> my legs. Like, I can't do a top to bottom there. <laughs> yeah, I feel so much better. All right. I, hey, everybody, all my peeps from Vail, all of us who ski Highline every Saturday and Sunday, you have now been, um, you have now been, been what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, justified or delivered from the agony of knowing we cannot ski at top to bottom. It is a no. fair. I, I don't think it's possible. I, I mean, at full speed, I done i've done it in a few sections but like but it mean it's good training and my legs were burning so much after skiing that 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 uh, that eyeline runs um yeah so and it's got a, it's got a couple it's got a couple funky pitches like you gotta be you gotta be on your skis because it's a little flat at the top then it yeah, drops and then it goes. yes and because the people who aren't that good usually stop there the moguls get really crazy right like they get really big and they get off center Right, and then it gets flat again, and then it gets really, really steep at the bottom. Like, even if you had the, how do you say, the the endurance, you gotta have the skiing ability to deal with the changing, the changing uh, lines. Yeah. Yeah, but it's cool. I mean, you have to stay so focused because when we ski World Cup, um, you know, you're going straight into your line. But in courses like, or, or slope like I line, I mean, you have to create your own path because the moguls are not like always perfectly aligned. And you have to be like pretty focused and, and the bumps are like, can be nice for like 50 meters. And then you arrive to like a pitch change where everyone's tough and then they get so big. And then I never want to stop where everyone's stopped. I try to always to stop uh, at uh, random places. So uh, yeah, but I can't wait to go back there. My boy, Phil Marquis lives now in Vell because he's going to coach the program there. And can't wait to go visit, visit you, visit him and, and go ski with you guys. I think, there's a lot of great people in the Vale. Love this place. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to having you come out. Let me know ahead of time. Obviously, we will make will. returns. Um, you know, I've always. But I, I, I can't leave without saying that my own mountains, Saint Silvar, it's, uh, I mean, 
we I think we're one of the mountain in, in North America or the mountain that create the most Olympian. And it's a small hill, very, very small, but uh, awesome. And mogul program there um, has been, I think, one of the best in the world for the kids. I mean, I'm from there, Bidadou's from there, the sisters are from there. So a lot of uh, Olympic champion and uh, medalists from there. Look, you know, you brought something up and I was about to wrap this up, but I think you brought something up we should talk about. And I think this goes across business as well as it goes across sports. It's the culture. That small yeah. mountain has built an amazing culture around um, mogul skiing, which then becomes generational, right? Everybody buys into the concept. They look at the people they want uh, ascribed to being the best. They invest in it. And so it becomes a culture of mogul skiing, which then perpetuates the concept of being great mogul skiers, thus and therefore delivers more Olympic mogul skiers than anywhere else in the world. It's all about culture. Yeah. Right on. I mean, Jean-Luc Brassard was from the area um, and he won the Olympics in Moguls in 94. Uh, so it created a lot of, you know, new young Mogul skiers, which made them very good coaches. And then Bilodeau arrived. And then with his performance at the Olympic in 2010, or 20, uh, 20, um, sorry, 2014, uh, I mean, it inspired so many kids and we were a huge club there. Um, and now it's my turn to inspire the kids, but it's just a little culture. I mean, the mountain is smaller. You don't get the distraction from the big mountains. I mean, you have your mobile course, you have a park, you have, you know, a lot of ice because we're from the East Coast. <laughs> it's not the best snow, but I mean, the lap around are super fast. You get to do many runs. We can ski until 10 p.m. because we have lights. Um, they make snow in October and we usually finish the season in May. And uh, we push it until June this year because we had a lot of snow. So it's just special. And they always keep the, the, the middle. So the main slope ends up with the pitch and is always uh, full with moguls and jumps. And uh, even when they have one slope open, it's a line of moguls. So there's just a lot of history and, and tradition back where I'm from with moguls here. I think it, the mogul skier are more popular maybe in our areas than, than the alpine racer, mm -hmm. which I think in the States is the opposite or in Europe. But for us, we're the, the, the favorite guy on the mountain, Yep, which makes it, you know, uh, special because it's, there's just more skiers and, and more future, uh, legend. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, they know we've been through there and, and the coaches and the people that are, you know, we're helping Jean-Luc Brassard or Alex Bledor and myself. We are the three only gold medalists at the Olympic from Canada. And we're all from this, that place. And it's the same people that were taking care of us when we were younger uh, from the station. So uh, it's just... No, yeah, I, I think you nailed... Look, I think, it's, I think it's so true. The culture is so important, right? I mean, look at it this way. The United States from 1994, I believe, all the way up until... Um, what was his name from Vale? Um, Toby, Toby, Toby Dawson, Toby Dawson. Toby Dawson. Uh, yeah. There was always an American on the podium, but after that, we, ne we haven't even come close since. And I think it's because in America, the whole switch has, has moved. No pun intended. The whole switch has switched to the park. And now all these kids growing up, they're not looking at it. You know, there's no, um, you know, Toby Dawson look at anymore. There's no, um, uh, oh my God, I can't think of his name. Johnny uh, Mosley. Yeah. Johnny Mosley anymore. They're looking Jeremy at these kids in the parks. Right, and so kids don't even yeah. want to try to mogul ski. Yeah, well, it's cool because back home we have like people looking up at the the slope style skiers. We have um, a lot of kids looking up to us, and for sure a lot of kids looking up to the to, to the alpine racers. But just from our area, um, mogul skiing has been just so big, and since the the people in Quebec we're always pretty much 100% of the team Canada. So the culture has, is very on the East coast. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, yeah. It's pretty I always say mobile skiing is, uh, it's better in French because uh, you look at Edgar Groupiron, which is a legend or Jean-Luc Brassard, another legend. We are all speaking French. So maybe it's something with the language. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, Canada, look, you can't you can't BS. Canada has own mogul skiing on both the men and women's side. I mean, between the LaPointe sisters, between you and then um, Phil coming in, uh, doing as well. And then the other cat, what's his name? Um, uh, because of an M. Uh, Marc-Antoine Gagnon. 
Yeah, Gagnon, I can't even pronounce his name. Him. And then, of course, um, I mean, you guys have just really – Canada has really taken a lead in mobile schemes. So I can't argue with you, man. Like, you guys are doing something right. I wish America would get back on that train, but we're trying. We're trying. Yeah, no, the Americans are doing very well. I mean, they have a young team, uh, very talented. Um, Who scares you? Who's who's the one up-and-comer that scares you? Now, maybe you'll be retired by that time, but who's the youngest person coming up? You're like, oh, snap, this cat could be really good. Well, I'll be a big fan of your of your daughter when I, I'll retire. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to look up here. But, um, no, I think there's a kid named Nick Page. He's, uh, I don't know if he's 18 yet or he's 17. He's very good. He's very good in the air, and he's, his king is getting more mature and more uh, more he's like – from the uh, States or from Canada? Like, Where is he from? Uh, U.S. Okay. He's from Park City, I think. Um, he's a very good skier, so uh, Nick Page. But, I mean, the whole U.S. team has so much talent. Um, every year I'm expecting them to do very well. Um, and I think they'll do very well this year, better than they did in the past. Uh, but I'll be there to try to stop them. Yeah, to, 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 to remind them who's the best. To remind them who's the best. All right, baby, listen, I can't thank you enough. I enjoyed the conversation, brother. Uh, I am pumped. Let's think snow, my man. So I can put this back around my neck, get my pass back around there and get out there. Um, let me know when you come to Colorado with Avail specifically. And uh, will sure. we, we will hit Highline, brother. I will start working out now so we can take it all the way to the bottom. All the way, man. Right, my legs are, are already uh, ready, so can't wait. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. You, man. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. You be good, dog. Peace. All right, everybody, you've been listening to Keenan live with Olympic gold medalist, GOAT mogul skier, greatest of all time, Mikhail Kingsbury. Thank you for listening. Listen, Keenan live is where we talk to the interesting, the rebellious, and the successful. You know what I'll, you know what I'm going to say, y'all. Till next time. Peace. <laughs>